supporting WHYY Penn Medicine, helping to find new cures for cancer. With life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques, Penn Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash cancer. Penn Medicine, what's next? There is an elementary notion that the heavier elements that make up the universe are uniquely forged in supernova factories. Well, it's time to test that notion on this episode of Sky Talk with Derek Pitts, chief astronomer at the Franklin Institute. It's a heavy topic, but what's the difference between a lighter and heavier element? And we only have the laboratory of our minds to work in in this case. But yes, we're talking about elements that are pretty well known. The lighter elements we can think of as, oh, say, helium, neon, uh, carbon, calcium, things like that. Uh, And the heavier elements, those on the periodic table of the elements that are beyond iron, you know, like uranium and strontium and plutonium and things like that. These are all manufactured in stars in one way or another. The lighter elements are made in the core of stars as stars consume their lighter elements. So the major fuel that's used at the core of stars to generate the energy that we see is hydrogen. And as hydrogen is consumed in the process of making energy, what actually happens is it converts to the next element, helium. And we can go right up the chain through lithium and on and on and on. But this can only go as far as iron because the core of a star is not dense enough or hot enough to produce iron. So what happens instead at this point is that the star's energy production process breaks down. The star essentially explodes in what's called a supernova. And in that process, the star can now make the heavier elements because it can have the temperature and the pressures necessary to do that. In the process, though, all of those materials are blasted out into the surrounding region of the galaxy and then becomes the seeds for the creation of other stars, planets, and other objects. Is it a stretch to say that we're all composed of star stuff? It is not a stretch at all. In fact, this is one of the major tenets that came out of the historic astronomy series by Carl Sagan called Cosmos. This is when most of us on the planet really learned for sure and understood really that we are all made of star stuff, all of the stuff that we're made of. Let's take, for example, the calcium that's in our bones and teeth. That calcium was produced at the core of a star that existed long before our star did. But when that star went supernova, the calcium and all the other elements that we find in our bodies were created in the explosion, redistributed, and then gathered up to make the star system that we now have as ours with our sun and our planets and our existence here on Earth. So back to those heavy elements, if not Uniquely in a supernova, how else could they be created? Well, this is the interesting discovery that's being made as we speak even that it seems as if some of these heavy elements or variants of these heavy elements can be created in other processes like merging neutron stars. It seems as if these events are energetic enough to be able to produce elements and heavier elements as well. Another way that this might be done seems to be in the action of fast-spinning supernovae. And, of course, we have the technology to produce elements that wouldn't 
ordinarily exist on Earth. Yes, indeed. We've been able to create some very, very short-lived elements. You'll find them at the very far end of the periodic table of the elements. And these are elements that sometimes are very highly radioactive but have very, very short half-lives. They will exist only for fractions of a second even. Now, this understanding about supernova and perhaps merging neutron stars doesn't get us any closer to understanding how those elements were initially created at the start of the universe. Well, you know, we have to go all the way back to the beginning and look at the Big Bang itself and then the inflationary period that occurred immediately following that in which it was possible for the very lightest elements to be produced, hydrogen in particular. And, that, of course, that's the key one because with the fusion of hydrogen nuclei, we then create the heavier and heavier and heavier elements. So... Uh, we need to go back a little bit further, but we haven't been able to lift the veil there yet. Derek, let's come back home, look overhead. What's available to be seen in the night sky this week? Venus looks beautiful in the west after sunset. Everybody will be able to easily identify it as that glowing bright object there. But in the morning at 6 o'clock, we'll... But in the morning at 6 a.m., we find Mars over on the eastern sky now sliding down towards a bright red star in the constellation Scorpius called Antares. In fact, Antares means anti-Mars, and as the two get closer together, you can see how their color would lead one to be a little bit confused about which is the star, which is the planet. But keep in mind that stars twinkle and planets don't. It's a good opportunity to compare the two. Lastly, you've been holding forth for the longest time on the power of dark matter and dark energy, but what's this? Those calculations might be flawed? Some scientists have identified new data that shows the key assumptions made in the discovery of dark energy is in error. We'll touch on that next week. Thanks, Derek. My pleasure, Dave. Derek Fitz, chief astronomer at the Franklin Institute. He joins us each week at this time on Sky Talk.